Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sundays, please visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Well, we are um, continuing in our series this morning on practicing the way of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Luke 12, verse 15, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that each week in this series, we are unpacking a different spiritual practice or spiritual discipline from the life of Jesus that we can engage in to make us more like him. Or said another way, we are learning to practice the way of Jesus in order to better experience the life of Jesus. The reason being... That in all reality, too many of us have become stunted in our discipleship. We aren't progressing. We aren't becoming more like Jesus because we aren't practicing his way. We aren't taking on the easy yoke. We don't live life as Jesus did. And so over the last few weeks... We've unpacked several spiritual practices that help shape us to become more like Jesus. Uh, Week one was practicing the presence of God. Uh, Week two, we talked about practicing silence and solitude. Uh, Week three, which was last week, we talked about practicing the Sabbath. Uh, And this morning, we continue in our series with the practice of simplicity. Picking up in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, it says this, Then he, Jesus, said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. As Jesus sets out to teach his disciples the secret of the easy yoke or the best way to be human, he doesn't shy away from talking about wealth and possessions. In fact, something like 25% of all of Jesus' teachings were on this subject. Here is just a sample. Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the poor, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Next slide. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a snapshot of what Jesus had to say about wealth and possessions. But the odds are that most of us don't believe him. If we're honest, we don't think these things are true. In all reality, all jokes aside, we do think that we can serve two masters. We do worry about our clothes and our food and the stuff that we buy. We don't think that wealth is deceitful. We don't see it as a stumbling block to life in the kingdom. We don't believe that our hearts will lie where our treasure is. We don't really want to sell anything and give the money to the poor. We don't think that our desire for other things will choke out the word and make us unfruitful. And we actually think that life consists of an abundance of possessions. But notice that Jesus isn't giving commands. He isn't telling his disciples the way things ought to be. He's telling them the way things are. Your desire for other things will choke out the word. You cannot serve both God and money. Not because it's unkind, but because it's impossible. He doesn't say you shouldn't serve both God and money. He says you can't. It's a natural law in the universe. And the reason that most of us find these truths, these natural laws so difficult to believe, is that we have been shaped, molded, discipled by the consumer economy. We are a product of our environment, and hence we view Jesus and his teachings through the lens of modern consumerism, which hasn't actually been around very long. Rewind just one short century, and 90% of Americans were farmers. We lived off the land, and we mostly traded with our neighbors for the things that we needed. And that wasn't that long ago. Okay? Fast forward uh, what amounts to a couple of decades and two world wars, and the landscape shifted. And in the post-war era, after World War II, the powers that be decided to reshape America around a new economy and new 
values. A post-war Wall Street banker said it this way. He said, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. And this evil genius of a plan worked like a charm. It turns out that we are more trainable and easier to manipulate than we would like to believe. Fast forward a few more decades after this statement was made, and the average American is now exposed to an average of 4,000 advertisements a day. 4,000 every single day. And every one of those advertisements is embedded with a message. Your life is incomplete. What you have is not enough. Who you are is not enough. What you really need is fill in the blank. 4,000 times a day, someone you will never meet is speaking into your life, telling you what will make you complete, enforcing and reinforcing the giant lie of the consumer economy. And the giant lie is this. The more money you have, the more stuff you have, the happier you will be. Now, odds are that every one of us in this room, to one degree or another, believes this. How could we resist? We hear it thousands of times every single day. But notice that this underlying assumption, uh, the one that drives materialism and the consumer economy, the one that most of us believe to one degree or another, is actually directly at odds with the teachings of Jesus. And when you uh, look at the life of Jesus, at his way of being human, you see his teachings embodied beautifully. Not only did Jesus teach on the deceitfulness of wealth, but he also lived a life of simplicity. Just the clothes on his back. And no vacation homes or extra closets or storage units. He said, life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And then he demonstrated that way of life for his disciples. And by the way, Jesus had money. He, he had people of influence who were backing him up, who were sponsoring him in his ministry. All he had were the clothes on his back, but they were nice clothes. 
In fact, if you read the story of the crucifixion, the soldiers are casting lots over his clothes because they notice. Jesus had money. In fact, he had enough money to justify a money manager named Judas. And it didn't turn out so well in the end. But, but you wouldn't do that unless you actually had some money to manage, which means that Jesus could have had a lot more. He, he could have had houses and extra clothes and a two-donkey garage or whatever they, they had in the day. I, I'm not really sure. But instead, even though those were options to him, he chose very intentionally to live a life of simplicity, to say, my life is going to be centered around my relationship with God and my relationship with others, uh, discipling them, enjoying God's presence, sharing great meals, true abundance, instead of an abundance of possessions. But in the American consumer economy, we tend to go the other way. And here's the problem. Well, there's lots of problems. But one of the problems is that the consumer economy and the 4,000 advertisements that we see a day are tapping into a human weakness, a vulnerability of sorts, and that is our unlimited desire. Your desire is unlimited. Our thirst for more is actually never, ever satisfied by the things of this world. We think it can be, which is why advertising works so well. But in reality, only an infinite God can satisfy our infinite desire. Or said another way, our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. The problem is that for many of us, our souls are not resting in God, finding rest in Him. And and so the opposite results. We are restless, wandering reaching for more, never satisfied, constantly discontent, uh, constantly desiring products that are suggested to us, constantly comparing our lives to those around us, often through social media. And the result of this culture that we live in is an insane driving restlessness in your soul. Ronald Rollheiser says it this way. He says, so much of our unhappiness comes from comparing our lives, our friendships, our loves, our commitments, our duties, our bodies, and our sexuality to some idealized and non-Christian vision of things, which falsely assures us that there is a heaven on earth. When that happens, and it does, our tensions begin to drive us mad, in this case, to a cancerous restlessness. A cancerous 
restlessness. We are not satisfied. And it's by design. But here is the result of that cancerous restlessness that eats at our bones. Uh, Restlessness is characterized by the following things. Busyness, hurry, noise, isolation, crowds, distraction, envy, confusion, greed, discontent, worry, anger, angst, melancholy, sadness, anxiety, working for love, and work as accumulation and accomplishment. And I know that's a lot to take in at one time, but that's basically life in the Western world. And it looks nothing like Jesus. None of it. Here's the flip side. Here is a life of restfulness. Margin. Wait, what is that? Slowness. Quiet. Deep relationships. Time alone. Delight. Enjoyment, clarity, gratitude, contentment, trust, love, joy, peace, working from love, and work as contribution. Restfulness is the exact opposite of restlessness. And it describes who Jesus was. His life, his yoke, his way. Restlessness basically describes modern Americans. Constantly on edge. Constantly reaching for more. Never satisfied. We never have enough. But how do we move from one to the other? How do we shift from restless to restful? How do we uh, change from stressed out, discontent, modern American toward Jesus himself? Well, there are at least two practices from the life of Jesus that help us make that shift. And the first is Sabbath. Now, if you were here last week, uh, we spent an entire teaching unpacking the practice of the Sabbath as rest. And I'm not going to rehash all of the stuff that we went over last week, but it's worth noting that the Sabbath wasn't simply an act of rest. It was also an act of resistance. When Israel is first given the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, for those who are familiar with the biblical storyline, the longest of the Ten Commandments was the command to Sabbath, 
one day a week to rest and to trust in God. And the reasoning given for the Sabbath day is, is that God built the Sabbath into uh, the, the rhythms of creation. He, he built it into the fabric of the universe. We talked about that last week. And so when they first received the Ten Commandments, the command to Sabbath points back to Genesis, to the seven-day creation account, to God resting. Forty years and one generation later, Moses gives the Ten Commandments again to Israel a second time, right before they enter the Promised Land. But if you're reading closely, you'll notice that the Sabbath language actually changes the second time around. Forty years later, it says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Whoa. That's different. Why should you Sabbath? To stick it to the man. You know who was driving their slavery in Egypt? It was Pharaoh. Do you know what they were building? They were building store cities. Not cities for people to live in. Not practical things. Entire cities to store excess stuff. Because Pharaoh always wanted more. He was never satisfied. But are we any different? We live in a culture of more. A culture of gaping, unquenchable lust for more. More food, more drink, more clothes, more devices, more apps, more things, more square footage, more experiences, more stamps on the passport, more you fill in the blank. I want more. John Rockefeller, the oil tycoon, was once famously asked, how much money is enough? And the billionaire responded, just a little bit more. Thomas Aquinas, one of the most brilliant Christian minds of centuries past, said it this way, what would it take for us to truly be satisfied? And his answer was everything. We would have to eat at every restaurant, buy every gadget, sleep with every sexual partner you ever desired, visit every country, have every experience, be everything to everyone 
in existence before we finally felt satisfied. Our desire is unlimited. We cannot stop. We just want more. And I have to work more so that I can earn more, so that I can buy more, so that I can have more and experience more. And the Sabbath is a day to say enough. Enough. Enough buying, enough selling, enough working, enough home projects, enough gadgets, enough apps, enough clothing. I have enough. Sabbath is an act of resistance against Pharaoh and his empire. Against 4,000 advertisements worth of propaganda. Against the slave driver in your mind. That never, ever stops. that is unquenchable, never satisfied, restless. The Sabbath is a day to stay free, to make sure that you never get sucked into being a slave again, or worse yet, become the slave driver. The Sabbath draws a line in the sand And it says, I have more than enough to enjoy a rich and satisfying life. I have enough. What I actually need isn't more of anything. It's actually time to enjoy the things that I already have with God. To enjoy God and and the relationships that matter most to me in life. To allow our souls to rest with God. And to find that elusive experience called contentment. You, You know that thing that the consumer economy always promises and never delivers. We take one day a week... To recenter on what really matters. To stick it to the man. And to remind ourselves and others that I have enough. And practicing Sabbath in this way actually becomes the foundation for the second practice that I want to touch on this morning. And that is the practice of simplicity. Now, in our modern consumer economy, with all of its driving restlessness, secular culture is actually beginning to rediscover this practice. And they call it minimalism. The monks of centuries past called it frugality. Some people are calling it essentialism. But uh, simplicity and frugality and minimalism and essentialism are all different words for the same thing. 
And at the core of this practice is the very basic assumption that less is more. We think we need all sorts of material things to be happy, when in reality, Jesus says you need very few. Jesus says you need food and you need clothes. And that's it. Based on the climate that we live in, I would add shelter to that list. But that's it. Jesus says, hey, food and clothing, that's what he says you need to live a rich and satisfying life. We think we need more and more stuff and more and more money. But the sad reality is that after you hit $75,000 a year in income, your money cannot make you any happier. That's it. That, that's the peak. After that, as your wealth rises, your happiness either stagnates or decreases over time. And studies show that the same is true of nations. That once national wealth passes a certain amount, that nation actually becomes less satisfied. Minimalism or simplicity cuts the other direction. It questions and dismantles the lie that more stuff equals more happiness. And it recognizes the reality that often more stuff equals more stress and more time wasted. But simplicity uh, isn't about a life of barren poverty with no freedom to enjoy material things. Uh, It's not about having an, an empty home and an empty closet and a joyless existence. Rather, simplicity is about living with less. Instead of focusing on how much you can collect and accumulate, simplicity asked, how simply can I live? Which, in turn actually generates freedom in our lives. It leaves space for restful living. Simplicity is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. This is the Jesus way of life. He was was so intentionally focused on the things that matter most and Everything else gets cleared out of the way. The consumer economy says that you will never have enough. Never. Jesus says, if you have food and clothes, you already have enough. What about you? What do you think? We've been wrestling with that question as a family uh, over these last few months. 
And uh, as a family, my wife and I have been uh, attempting the Sabbath for years. And it was really hard at first. We're slowly getting better at it as we go. Uh, but just in these last few months, we found a, a, a new hunger for, for this new practice of simplicity. Simplicity in our schedules. Eliminating rush and busyness and hurry. Keep the things that matter most and wipe everything else away. Simplicity with our stuff. Believing that less is more. That life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And that where our treasure is, our hearts will lie also. We've come to recognize that we have far more than we need in order for our lives to be complete. Uh, And about two months ago, as I was studying and preparing for this series, uh, something in me just snapped. Uh, And my wife probably thought I was going crazy. Uh, I started going through our entire house, every drawer, every closet, except my wife's, Um, every bin in the garage, like everything, and just started eliminating stuff. Is this necessary? Is it what matters most? Does this bring me joy? Nope. It's got to go. Get get rid of it. We we, we don't need all of this stuff. Uh, I actually started in in the beginning with my closet, and I didn't think I had a ton of clothes to begin with, Uh, But I eliminated half of my clothes. I kept the ones that I truly appreciated, the ones that bring me joy, the ones that I actually like to wear, and got rid of the rest. Half my clothes, right then and there, out the door. Big bags going to people who need it more than I do. And it was hard, but by the time I finished, I, I felt lighter, I felt this unexpected just sense of of joy. I I wasn't even anticipating how how joyful I I felt flooded by it. And I realized, wow, when, when Jesus says to give away your extra things to those in need, he he really meant it. Like there's there's life in this. And, and when Jesus said, Hey, if you have two coats give one of them away to somebody who doesn't have a coat. I think he meant it. And all of a sudden I'm realizing like, well, this isn't, this isn't a duty. This is, this is a joy. There, there's life in this. And, and he said that life is, is more than clothes. And that life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. And all of a sudden, all of these things started to click. It just started to make more sense to me. And so after giving away half my clothes, I felt so light and free that I went back to my closet and I did it again. Like took what was left, cut it in half again, and I loved it. And after that, over the next few Sabbaths, I would, I would make it a tradition to just walk into my closet and just choose one item. Hey, what's one thing in here that, that I don't actually need? And, and over the next few weeks, just slowly started chipping away at what was left. Uh, and in, in the end, 
I'm, I'm down to about um, 20% of the clothes that I had. Uh, but I cannot tell you uh, how energizing this has been for me to switch, to change the way that I relate to material possessions. And in the process, something happened in, in, in my heart, in my thinking. Uh, some of my consumerism was broken. And I have way less clothes than I've ever had before. But the irony is that I don't want more. I, I don't have any desire for more. I, I actually have a little bit of money in the clothing budget, and I just no desire to spend it. I feel free. I, that, that, that lust for more is beginning to subside. And many of the lies that I was carrying about consumerism and happiness and contentment are being broken. And so I moved on from my closet. I just started to apply that to all of uh, our stuff. And, and I'm not finished yet, but by the time I finish, like furniture aside, I will have given away a third to half of all of our stuff. And, and eventually, we got to this place of, of giving away piles of stuff to people who needed it more than us. And, and now we're to a place where we're like giving away empty bins. And, and, and we're actually getting to the place where we're giving away empty shelving units that used to be full of stuff that we didn't really need. And not only has the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus started to make more sense to me, but I'm finally becoming a joyful and generous person, which is the New Testament standard for giving. Joyful and generous. I was barely generous, and I wasn't joyful until now. Overnight, I found this a new joy and generosity. And it's rooted in this sense, not just of the provision of my heavenly father, because I had that before. It's also rooted and fueled by this newfound sense that I have enough. Enough. I don't need more clothes. I don't need more stuff. I don't need more apps. I don't need more activities. I don't need 12 new hobbies and all the stuff that goes along with them. I don't need 150 possessions that just take up more of my time and more of my money to clean and organize and maintain. I have enough. You know why joyful generosity was so hard for me before? It's because if you buy into the lie that more stuff and more money equals more happiness, then you're literally giving away your happiness. And that made me sad. But... If that lie is broken, if my goal is to live with less, then I can freely give. I have margin. 
I can give of my time, I can give of my attention, I can give of my possessions, I can give of my money and my stuff because I don't need them in order to be satisfied. That's not where satisfaction is found. In fact, the more I've given away, the less stressed and more joyful I've become. The more satisfied I've become. That driving, cancerous restlessness is beginning to fade. And it starts right here. First, you practice the Sabbath. Turn off your phone. Refuse to buy and sell for an entire 24 hours. Remember that what you have is enough. That who you are is enough. That life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus says the pagans run around their whole lives chasing after those things. Not true of you. Your heavenly father already knows what you need. Seek the kingdom first. And second, practice simplicity. Simplicity in your schedule. I don't need 10 more hobbies and six more activities and busyness and a second job to get more stuff, to get more money, to get more whatever. I don't need more rush. I don't need more hurry sickness. Simplicity with your stuff, believing that less is more, that an uncomplicated life in which you focus on what matters most is actually the best way to live. We refuse to listen to 4,000 advertisements a day. You practice a life of contentment. You say, enough. I have enough. I am enough. And the less I buy into the lies of the consumer economy, the more I see and enjoy that which matters most. Think about where your treasure lies, because there your heart will lie also. What's at stake in all of this? Your time, your attention, your money, your dreams, your satisfaction, your contentment, a life that is restful instead of restless, all of it. And at some point... We have to decide who we want to believe. The consumer economy, which overpromises and underdelivers, or the gospel of the kingdom, which says that the life you've always wanted is fully available to you right here, right now through Jesus. 
the gospel says that as of this moment, there is nothing standing in between you and life that is truly life. What about you? What do you say? Where do you think life is found? Let's pray. Thank you.